the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. They say actors like to hang out with actors because there's that light common thread of we do this for a living and we don't really need anything from each other, but I personally like to talk to market people. Joining me now, Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst, Briefing.com. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hi, Rob. I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, no, I just brought up a funny concept that you and I are kind of like market news junkies kind of things. You're probably way smarter than me, but do you ever find like your non-market friends, they look at you like, what's a good stock tip? <laughs> well, you know, quite a bit actually. And, uh, and you know, my purview is, is, is more, you know, macro commentary. And so when I kind of start probing a little bit and they start talking about some of these, you know, big issues, they kind of glaze over and then just decide that they're going to go find their uh, individual stock tip from somewhere else, I think. But um, but it's, you know, it's, it's part of the course, you know, when someone asks you what you do and you tell them you're a stock market analyst, um, you're invariably going to get that, well, you know, what's a good hot stock for me, right? Yep. And it kind of runs counter to uh, pretty much everything that, you know, I tend to preach, which is more long-term oriented. When someone asks that question, it's you know, it's basically a, all they're saying is like, how can I make money in a hurry, right? So there's not a lot sure. of people that say, hey, you know, where do I need to be for the next 10 years? It's like, how can I make 100% in the next 10 days? So um, tend to kind of maybe politely defer the the question and and uh, and go on to talking about things that friends talk about. Yesterday was a big political risk day on Wall Street. There's earnings risk, there's currency risk, there's headline risk. Yesterday was a big political one. I got on television, I said, people, relax. If Warren Buffett says he's buying, you too should buy. What was your take on the first day, the Monday, not today, but Monday on the Russia-Ukraine scenario? Right. Well, you know, my perspective was that, you know, certainly if there was no actual uh, force involved, you know, where you're shooting, you know, bullets and dropping bombs and things like that, it was an issue that, uh, to me anyway, I felt that the market would be able to see its way through. Um, You know, one of the kind of shock values of yesterday's activity is just that it was a geopolitical item that was not on the short list of any – you know, market pundits' outlook for 2004 when it came down to talking about, you know, this very uh, 
always present geopolitical risk factor. You know, when it came down to that, people were talking about more about Middle East issues, territorial tension between Japan and China, you know, some of the disruption in Venezuela. But I don't recall ever hearing anything about Russia invading Ukraine as being a major geopolitical risk. And so it was it was a new element. And so what we saw was the market react to that new source of uncertainty in a very typical fashion where you get some knee-jerk selling. But I think one of the other things that was really lost in the mix, though, is that the market was certainly ripe for some type of pullback regardless of what was happening in Russia. The S&P 500 had gained almost 8% in 16 trading sessions. Um, and to put that in perspective, I was looking at some data on FactSet yesterday where the, the average annual price return for the S&P 500 going back to 1929 is just over 7%. So in 16 trading sessions, you know, the market accomplished basically what has been its average annual price return dating back to 1929. So it was certainly overextended. And when you get a headline like we saw uh, yesterday, certainly, um, there was a lot of just uh, urgency to take some money off the table and wait to see how things settled down. So do you think the Russian situation is behind us? Are we back? To, I'm not going to say smooth sailing, but is the, political, is the risk the market kind of like getting smashed behind us? You know, I think uh, with respect to the Russian-Ukraine situation, uh, the market is going to fall back on its same uh, safety valve it, it did you know, last year, certainly, in that it's not expecting the worst-case scenario to unfold. I think the fact that there's been uh, that Mr. Putin so quickly tried to defuse things, if you will, by uh, drawing the troops back and, and acknowledging that he doesn't have a plan to annex Crimea and, and uh, you know, and is not inclined to use military force. I think that, you know, the market is cognizant that the actual military battle, you know, where you would have Western forces coming in to combat Russian forces, that that's the worst case scenario, that that's not going to unfold. And, and, uh, and so I don't, you know, I'm not an expert in this area. I have to admit that. You know, I mean, it is. There's a lot of politics, obviously, behind it. But um, I can look at what the market's doing today, and I can uh, acknowledge that what the market is doing today would suggest that it's not fearing any type of worst-case scenario unfolding there. How about the worst-case scenario, Mr. O'Hare, that's unfolding for Radio Shack? Do they? Do, do we need them? Or is Amazon and Best Buy just totally taking everything that was once? That's uh, Radio Shack. Right. Well, you know, I guess some people need them. I mean, they have, you know, multi-hundred millions of dollars of sales in a quarter. So it's, you know, it's not that they're uh, not hitting with some people, but the fact of the matter is it's just been mismanaged. I mean, their expenses are grossly exceeding their, um, you know, their, their revenue and, and, and their gross profit. And that's uh, obviously putting a major squeeze um, on that business. But um, to to your point is, you know, when, when I think when most people think of consumer electronics, uh, when it comes to an actual, you know, big box retailer, it's, it is Best Buy. Um, and when it comes to online presence, it is Amazon.com. I mean, I think, you know, Radio Shack, you know, has a branding issue for sure in this, you know, very modern world where smartphones are, are you know, omnipresent and, and it's all about wireless and, and you're, you know, just the the name itself, you know, Radio Shack just doesn't you know, resonate, uh, I think, from a branding perspective. So so they do have some issues that, that they have to work out. Next topic. Um, today's a big day, 
President Barack Obama's budget gets thrown in front of the public. Some parts will survive, some parts won't. He's down to his last three years. New polls show Senate's maybe looking a little bit more Republican this time next year. Uh, what do you think about the budget and how this year plays out politically for Wall Street? Well, uh, from a political standpoint, I think you're, you've hit the point of, uh, of impasse again, right? Because the midterm elections are getting just closer by the day, and uh, the president is coming out, you know, you know, with his budget proposal. And from what I've read already, it's it's going to basically be roundly rejected by the House, uh, the GOP-controlled House, almost immediately. And so, uh, and then what the GOP puts forward, I'm sure is going to be talked about as being rejected in the Democratic-controlled Senate. And so you're probably at that point where you'll eventually get to the issue of, you know, a continuing resolution issue um, further on in the year. But um, but I think with, uh, with those midterm elections coming up, I don't think either side is going to want to necessarily give in on some of these bigger uh, issues. And, and what the president's talking about is, is essentially, you know, some of the preliminary stuff is, you know, is trying to even out the income inequality, and and that obviously hasn't sold very well within uh, the Republican Party. Uh, and so you're going to get right, you're just going to have a, another grinding uh, impasse, I think, you know, as it relates to uh, to what's going to happen on the on the Hill this year. Economically speaking, uh, housing data came out this morning. Anything in that data that you think stands out positive, negative, or just same old, same old, everything looks good? The housing data from uh, the construction spending data from yesterday or from, I'm sorry. Home prices um, rose in January. CoreLogic came out with a report. So I guess it wasn't economic data as much as survey data. Okay, okay. Yeah. um, yeah, you know, I mean, the you know the issue with housing. Obviously, you've seen you know very nice price gains throughout 2013, and um, you know the issue now is 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 the affordability factor. You know, how prices risen so far so fast uh, that you know you're you're squeezing out um, you know those first time home buyers, and and you know what we saw with the existing home sales data last week is that you were you know seeing that pinch. I think first time home buyers uh, you know accounted for. Roughly 26% of, of of home purchases on the existing home sales front, and that's I think the lowest uh, percentage on record for that area. And so, so affordability is creeping in here as as one of the headwinds that uh, could limit some of that uh, you know housing recovery uh, potential that we've seen build over recent years and and uh, and slow things down. <coughs> excuse me, slow things down a bit here. We've got a couple more minutes left, Mr. O'Hare. Anything that you're working on that you think we should have insight into? Well, the, the thing that uh, I'm looking at this week is, is the uh, the non-farm payrolls report for February. Um, that'll be out on Friday before the open, and uh, and it could be that uh, piece of data that's an inflection point as it relates to the market's thinking on what the Fed is likely to do at its FOMC meeting in March. Uh, obviously, had two uh, consecutive disappointing non-farm payrolls reports, and so uh, we're going to try and get down to the bottom again to see whether uh, we're seeing more of a cyclical slowdown or something that's really just, in fact, weather-related. Uh, and uh, our contention at briefing.com, what our chief economist is saying, is that there's enough data out there thus far to uh, to validate the idea that we're in more of a cyclical slowdown and not just uh, one that's weather-related. So we'll be looking for more evidence of that within that employment report. As always, thank you for your time, Mr. O'Hare. It's Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst, briefing.com. 
briefing.com is a website that has a plethora of information, um, whether it's screens on value, screens on growth, commentary on the market, international, domestic, day by day positioning. You know, Patrick O'Hare writes an article that comes out every morning that it's one of my first reads, if not my first read, to kind of say, okay, here's my cheat sheet. Um, with that said, again, big thanks to Patrick O'Hare and the people at Briefing. You can find out more about me at robblack.com. You can find out more about Briefing at briefing.com. I have a tweet line, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. We'll take a break here. We'll be right back. Rob Black and your money. AM 